Welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Very warm welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast organised and run by the Free Church of Scotland, but of course listened to by thousands, if not millions worldwide. Um, we have lots of eclectic guests, and my guest this morning is uh, Alistair Begg. Alistair is a Scot who's currently ministering in Cleveland, Ohio in the USA. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning, David. Nice to see you. It's good to speak to you from the old country where, uh, I need to remind you, it is cold, wet and miserable. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's, it's pretty much the same here this morning, so... <laughs> yeah, that, that that does make me feel a, a lot better. Uh, great to talk to you. Let's do, I mean, we're just going to have a casual conversation about lots of subjects, but the big, the big news in Scotland this week is the passing of Eric Alexander one of the, the princes of Israel, one of the greatest, if not the greatest preacher of our generation. Alistair, did you know him? What were your memories of Eric? Well, I, I did get to know him. I, it was uh, when, I was, when I was in Hamilton in between, what, uh, 70, 77 and 83, I knew of Eric. I knew of Eric because I had gone to hear him preach, you know, as a younger man. And uh, uh, he, I actually went to a, I went to a Banner of Truth uh, day down in the border somewhere, maybe down in Carlisle, or I don't know where it was. And he and Douglas McMillan were the speakers that day. And I remember being profoundly impacted by both of them. Uh, Eric, because of the very structured way in which he handled everything, and then Douglas, by the very unstructured way he, he handled everything. But both of them just engaged me. Well, then one day uh, I got a telephone call from this Eric Alexander fellow, and my wife had taken the phone. She said, Eric Alexander's on the phone. And uh, I, I, I was conscious of the fact that my voice went up about, you know, two or three registers. I was sort of caught off guard. I was, uh, I was sort of enamored that he even knew who I was. And he said, uh, I was wondering if you could do one of the lunchtime talks at the Holy Week services at the Tron. And, um, of course, I, I said with trepidation that I would. And that uh, then led to uh, other circumstances. I can't remember all the details of them. But when he came, I then came to the States in 83. And when he came in 84 to speak at the Urbana Conference uh, in uh, Illinois, um, I said to him, you know, I would like to come there. I was going to bring some young people from the church, but I'd like to basically carry your bag. And, uh, that, and that's really what I did. And I, I, I just made a nuisance of myself with him over the three or four days. I remember two things in particular. One, he had a dreadful toothache that uh, nobody was able to relieve, and so he labored under that. He did Ephesians uh, 1 to 3, and in, in, the, in his opening uh, address on the doctrine of election, I remember him saying, you know, the doctrine of election is a biblical doctrine. 
uh, the doctrine of election is a difficult doctrine. The doctrine of election is a necessary doctrine. It, we do not, it is not a flag to be waved. It's not a bomb to be dropped. It's a bastion for the souls of those who are in Christ. And uh, later in that day, Billy Graham was there at the, at the conference as well. And Eric and I were sitting out in the big uh, sports facility where it took place, and we were way high up, and Billy Graham was doing a Q&A. <laughs> and one after another, the students came up and asked questions about the first chapter, the first half of the first chapter. <laughs> and bless his heart, he kept saying, I think there's one for... Uh, Dr. Alexander. <laughs> he had no answer. And I remember sitting beside Eric and he was just every so often he'd go. <laughs> he was a he was he was a, a dear guy and and we kept in touch since I've been gone these last 39 years. He came and spoke for us at our basics conference. And it was a wonderful time because it was Eric Alexander, Dick Lucas, and Derek Prime, all of them from three different uh, sort of ecclesiastical backgrounds, and yet with all of them having more in common with each other than they necessarily had with the background out of which they all came. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. A prince has fallen in Israel. He, uh, he could get, I don't know, I've never seen his notes, but it seemed to me that he was able, he spoke rather slowly, and he could... He could just go, oh. <laughs> I don't he could, know he could read the back of a cornflakes packet yeah, and could. make it sound interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was he was he was he was masterful. Yeah. I I know uh, Ronald and I know Jennifer, his children, but not not well. Ronald came here with him when he preached for us and uh um yeah. And and Greta, what a sweet lady she was, and he never, in many ways, he was only half the man after Greta's home call. Yes, his last public words, I think, were at Greta's funeral, and, and he spoke very movingly about, you know, yeah. the preposition about being in Christ. That's right. Um, interestingly, you spoke about Urbana, you know, since hearing of, of Eric's passing, um, he was at Urbana twice in 81. He did Acts, and you refer to 84. He did Ephesians. Mm. And any of our listeners, just Google them. They are really out outstanding, I mean, to this day, in terms right. of, of missionary emphasis, and God emphasis. He just right. is all saturated with, with God. Yeah. Um, tell me about unction. Is, yeah. it, is it an easy? It's an easy one for you, Alistair. This is a, yeah. this is an easy ball. Yeah. What is unction? And what is how, unction? How, how do you know when it's in the house? Yeah. Well, it's better felt than dealt. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> it's good. It's, you can use that for all kinds of things. But well, let me say a couple of things. Um, it, it, it is. It is. Unction is a reality, first of all, let's say, that, that the sort of the divine effusion of help, if we could, I'm just making it up as I go along, but the divine effusion of help um, is, is, un, is unusual, is not guaranteed, but it's, 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 I think, obvious at least to some when it is present. I mean, if you, if you think about the exponents of, the necessity of unction, or what the what do the Welsh call it, the hoyle, the hoyle. I mean, 
it, Lloyd Jones had such a high view of this kind of thing that he used to say he's not sure that he had really preached more than one or two decent sermons, you know. It seems to me that that is actually an unhelpful kind of perspective because clearly we have all benefited from his sermons, whatever his own subjective sense of what was going on uh, was about. I know in listening to Eric that he very much looked to God to to enclose him in a sort of cocoon of his divine initiative or something. I don't know. Let me just say, having mentioned Dick Lucas, that by way of um, setting it in a context, when I spoke at the evangelical, whatever he does down there, Dick Lucas's thing, EMA, at EMA, I was I was having supper with him. Sue and I were having supper with him in his place the night before I had to speak. And and he said, uh, 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 now, brother, what, what, are you, what are you giving us tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm doing that passage where it says uh, in Thessalonians where the, the word came, you know, not just in word, but in power and a demonstration of the spirit. It was a long pause. And then he said, well, just as well as you're not, just as long as you're not giving us any of that unction stuff, brother. <laughs> okay. The, okay. Yeah. The odd part of that is the only way you can explain Dick's ministry, especially those lunchtime things over 37 years in the city, is in terms of unction. Whatever, whatever it is, he had it. And it made a huge difference. Every, every study had it. But it, it came out differently by way of personality. Um, Eric's, Eric's sort of passionate delivery would, uh, would probably appeal to those of us who are Celtic, and we would see that as perhaps an, an evidence of, you know, the, the, the work of the Spirit. Whereas when we would listen to Stott, then it would be, we would not say because he's not passionate in that way, it, we, we're not seeing evidences of that. I don't know. What is it, David? You no, know no, that, 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 I mean, it's when, I guess, the word is accompanied by the Spirit's power. Right. Um, I think you're right to be not not suspicious, but to that's not, not the right word, to, but to put it in its right context. Right. It's not always felt, and maybe you feel you've had a bad day. Yeah. You know, God still uses that. He takes yeah. the word, and it's a wonderful thing. I think it's absent when we can hear ourselves talking, or when we're actually listening to ourselves. I mean, there's a, there's something about lost in wonder, love, and preaching. You know, lost in wonder, love, and praise, where we feel that we feel that we are literally. A, a, a mouthpiece. We've done the hard work, and there are days. But I, I would agree with you that oftentimes, like uh, over here in America, people tend to be far more, as you know, congl- congratulatory and and uh, say things. Um, I have never, I've never listened much to that because I'm so skeptical of my own heart that uh, I, I don't find really great encouragement in in that because I never know. I don't know. We 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 saw. I, I I had a conversation in a seminary not so long ago, and somebody asked a question about passion in preaching, and this fellow that was my fo- was speaking along with me. He went off into, you know, great, great uh, 
realms of, of wonder about passion and how you have to be passionate and everything else. If you're not passionate, then whatever. And I listened to all of this and I said, you know, but wait a minute. And I said, what we do is we sow seed. We sow the seed of the word of God. I mean, if you think of it in terms of a farmer or sowing seed, does it really matter if he's like really excited when he's doing it or not? Does it, does it make a difference to what happens to the seed? And uh, he didn't like he didn't like my response. Yeah, but you you need a bit of passion, you know. I heard Packer once describing you know contemporary <laughs> preachers. There's slight irony here, given his style. But he said often he heard preachers who delivered a sermon with all the fervency of a weather forecaster. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you know maybe the American weather forecasters are more animated than oh, yeah, they ours. Are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, leave that one alone. Absolutely. I, if you if you need a good answer to the question, ask Donnie McLeod. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the Gaelic folk talk about the sheeshk, and and you know that's another. It's like the high old yeah. uh, yep. the, the, these mega celts and steroids in another place. Yes. Uh, let's not start in dreams and visions and all that no. stuff. We could be here all no, day. No. Now, another thing that strikes me about you, Alistair, is that you're. You're pretty non-denominational in the best sense of that word. You know, you're you're nice to Presbyterians. Um, you 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 do seem to have this healthy non-denominational thing. Is that accident or design? I think I'm a product of my background, David. Really, in that respect, you know, in that, you know, my roots as a child are in the, a big interdenominational mission, you know, in near the fish market in Glasgow, you know, the tent, the tent hall. So I'm this strange hybrid because if you go to my father's upbringing in, in Caithness, to the grandfather that I never met, then, you know, you're at the, the very heart of uh, Presbyterianism. And then so you've got that in your DNA somewhere. Then you've got this interdenominational thing and then you've got going to the Tron with your dad as well to hear preaching and and then living in England I was influenced by um, evangelical Anglicans and when I was at LBC the first placement that I did was at uh, Christchurch Chorley Wood in suburban London with a fellow called Peter Certain and I went there very, very reluctantly because I, I was I had enough of the the Celt in me to say, well, we can't have these prayers being read and things like that. And within a 12-month period, I had actually come to appreciate a lot of the liturgy, not that it was uh, high church in any way at all. It wasn't. And I recognized, for example, the tremendous opportunity that uh, was there if you were to go into the Anglican ministry in much the same way at that point, still in that point in Scotland, would be true going in maybe to the Church of Scotland in that you started from somewhere. But I couldn't get there because I just found that my conviction about whether faith preceded or, or followed the act of baptism. and But because, but because I understand pedo-baptism and believe enough of it to not make it a, a big issue. Um, I've never, I think there's a certain kind of non-denominationalism, which is a denomination in itself. That, that, that it's a reaction to everything. We're not that, we're not that, we're not that. Whereas for me, 
I'm holding on to just about all of these elements. And and it was illustrated perfectly, I think, with what I said before. You get Eric Alexander, the Church of Scotland. You get Dick Lucas, an, ev- an evangelical Anglican. And you get Derek Prime, who's really come out of a free church background. And if you look at the, the people who have spoken for us at Basics here, I've introduced lots of people uh, to the people who come to Basics, and they're surprised by these people. Uh, for example, John Wood, uh, Woodhouse uh, from, from Australia this last time, uh, Keller a few times ago. And that is not because I'm trying to contrive a sort of uh, engagement. It's because the unifying factor for me is they're gospel people. A bit like, you know, Whitfield when he was getting pushed back when he was over here from uh, the folks back in England because of where he was preaching and the invitations he was taking. And Dalimore in his, in his first volume on Whitfield says that what, 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 what Whitfield was actually establishing was a commitment to, if you like, evangelical orthodoxy that at its core transcended some of the peculiarities of, or peculiarities is the wrong word, some of the distinctives of various strains of um, gospel ministry in, in different backgrounds. But I'll just say one final thing, and that is, this troubles me every so often, you know, what you've said to me by way of uh, intro, in that I say to myself, am I just guilty of speaking out of two sides of my mouth, you know, the idea of being all things to all people to, to in order just to be, uh, you know, accepted? Or am I onto something here that there really is, uh, there is a way to move amongst and around these things, not on the basis of a some kind of ecumenism, but on the basis of evangelical orthodoxy. For example, the Calvary Chapel guys with Chuck Smith and the hippies and the bare feet of the 60s and stuff, we are carried on their radio stations. We're on about 200 radio stations. Their distinctives are premillennial eschatology and uh, uh, what else have they got? They got, they got a couple. Oh, 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 premillennial eschatology and an aversion to all things uh, reformed. And yet, for the last 10 years, I'm carried on that station. And Chuck Smith, who was the founder of the whole deal, um, when I would meet with him, I would always say to him, you know, Chuck, the reason that you and I are friends is really clear. And he said, he would say, why is that? You know, he's wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt hanging out over his trousers and stuff. And I said, because we're both convinced that God loves saving people. Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a real good friend of mine, he's retired and pastor from Wales, and he's very much Lloyd-Jones, Westminster Chapel, Calvinistic Methodist background. He's retired to Cyprus and attends the local Calvary Chapel and yeah. just loves it. Because yeah. the guys, you know, they, they have a very distinctive preaching style. Sure. They just go through the Bible line right. by line. Right. And, you know, the sermons are about an hour. Yeah. And this guy just loves it because he's he's a gospel guy, and that's it. He, I remember one of the old free church elders had this expression: "The Christ in me sees the Christ in you," mm-hmm. and that's a lovely kind of expression. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's what I see in you, Alistair. And the the older you get, the more 
win some if that were possible and ecumenically minded and just broad in that you know I can't stand broad evangelicalism in that negative sense but right. in the positive sense so keep going well thank you well I, look I'm talking to you isn't this the free church absolutely we there you go now wasn't that a free church minister who famously encouraged you in a bizarre way oh, yeah, in, your, in, in your early ministry. <laughs> tell, tell the folks that story. Oh, dear. Well, that was Davy Patterson, and it was an OMF conference, and uh, I was I was out of my depth in more ways than one. Didn't know Davy. He sat on the front row looking at me the whole time, and I tried to expound the first chapter of uh, Second Peter, and... Um, he never took his eyes off me in a very unsettling way. And I was not, it's come back to the question about unction. I mean, I was about as far away from unction in terms of my my understanding of what was happening. And uh, I was pretty convinced everybody must have felt the same way. And as I tried to make a make a run for it at the, at the benediction, a hand grabbed hold of me. And as I turned around, it was this fellow who had been sitting on the front row he introduced himself. He said he was on the OMF council and he thanked me for coming. And he said, uh, you know, when you said that thing about making an abundant entry into heaven, he said, he said, that was very good. And then there was a long pause and he said, but that was about all that was good. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and then he told me, you know, you stood up there and you kept saying, I'm sure you know more about this than me. He said, who cares? <laughs> he said, if you're up there, he says, I don't care whether you've got sirloin steak or a pound of mince. You're God's man for the moment. So don't ever stand up there and say, what? you said, he says to me, he says, you said a number of times tonight what Peter is trying to say. He says, Peter wasn't trying to say it. Peter said it. It was you that was trying to say it. And you weren't doing very well. And he just just was, dev it was devastating. And then, he, and then he says, I want to pray for you. And uh, I went away back to my room. I was, on the one hand, crushed, on the other hand, encouraged. And um, from that point on, he actually became a friend and and somebody that uh, certainly uh, coveted the idea of unction and wasn't wasn't averse to a few Highland stories. Absolutely, and that's a that's a great story. Well, you you've survived, um, survived, Davy. Absolutely. This is called the Healthy Church Podcast. Now you you. Been in a, around lots of churches, small ones, big ones, medium ones, good ones, bad ones, ones in the way out, ones in the way up. <laughs> give, 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 give me the marks of a healthy church. Mm. Just some headlines. Well, you know, I, I do travel a wee bit, and when I come back, I, my congregation knows that from time to time I'll say to them, you know, I'm so glad to be home. This is a good church. It's not a great church but it is a good church. And why do I believe it's a good church? Well, for a lot of reasons. First of all, because there is a very clear understanding that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, that he administers his headship in and through the church, through godly leadership, uh, through folks who are uh, both committed to Christ, committed to the scriptures, and who are at least endeavoring to serve God's people and not to serve themselves, who are realistically accountable to one another so that the, the gatherings of the leadership 
at least in 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 our understanding, has been a, dis, a, a discovery and a deepening discovery of what it means to prefer one another in love and to really benefit from the company of one another. We're all made up differently. We get different everything's, but and and to recognize that we believe. Um, I, if you like Isaiah, what is it, 66? Uh, uh, this is the one to whom I will look, says the Lord. He is humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at my word. So that there is, if you like, a humility in leadership, which hopefully becomes a pervasive sort of thing as it is passing through the bloodstream of the congregation. So that a healthy church is not a church that presents itself to to the visitor or presents itself to itself as, hey, we understand everything and we know everything and we've got it right and we feel bad for the people that have got it wrong. Not that, but rather we are a company of the forgiven. We are a company of the redeemed. We know that left to ourselves, uh, we would be Rahab. Left to ourselves, we would be whatever else it is. And through many dangers, that sort of ethos in, in a congregation a, a, a Christ-like humility that is is uh, is not like it's, it's it's like the church. If if you like, on an individual basis, I think it's Tillich. Maybe it's not. Well, I'm, and it doesn't matter. But, you know, he says every day in a thousand ways we seek to make ourselves the center of the universe. And you know the discovery that. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not even the center of my own universe. So that if you get a congregation that's built up of people who are really honestly viewing themselves in that way, then it's it gives a the humility gives an opportunity for an openness that is not is not faked, but it is it is able to turn to the person next to them and and uh, be be straightforward and honest and. Um, uh, yeah, uh, humility before uh, uh, Christ, uh, 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 an absolute conviction about the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures, believing that the word of God does the work of God by the power of the spirit of God, thereby looking beyond the mouthpiece to the one who is the Lord of the word. Um, a congregation that understands that Jesus is really the worship leader. He stands in the midst of the congregation to lead us in our praise so that we're not, we're not developing, you know, bands, um, whatever, whatever way we use praise, that even those who are involved in the praise know that they are in that position. And then when I go other places, I find that that, I mean, if you came, if you come and join us, and I hope you will come and join us, you mean, you join us at 8.30, you come to the prayer prayer room, which is where we meet, and, you know, all the boys are just on their knees before God. The same would be true before the evening service. Now, posture is only representative, only significant, as we know, if it's representative of a heart. But, I mean, that makes all the difference. I go places, and it it's like... Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's, I don't know what's going on, and then no, no, nobody, uh, nobody prays. These are big places, you know, with the buzz and stuff. And then somebody else says something like, "Go get them," you know. 
I want when it, as soon as someone says that to me, I would just want to go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the story's told of one famous minister who inadvertently left his mic on and all the congregation heard was, go get him, tiger. <laughs> oh, there you go. As he yeah, spoke to himself in the talking. mirror, you know. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> oh, he said it to himself. <laughs> he said it to himself, go get him, tiger. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's the tiger. Yeah. Well, it's you dumb. know, that's the opposite. That's the opposite of unction again, right there. <laughs> I'm not sure if the tiger is uh, growled or not when he got out there. I I'm interested that you didn't speak, interestingly, about like styles, worship styles, building styles, and, and health is bigger than the furniture. Yes, yeah, and bigger than the bigger than the framework itself. And and I think that's one of the things that when you move when you like. You go if you go if I come back and I go to the Gallic service up in Stornoway, and I can't understand it. But there's there's in there there's something you know that, that you get you get a sense of it. I I don't know. No, it's not it's not it's not definitely about about that um, because it's a bit like um, you know when we moved into this building in 1993. Somebody says, "Well, it won't. It won't really be. It won't mean very much to you until uh, there have been a lot of tears and laughter." And you know, it's a bit like a house. You know, the, the, why? What's the feel when you go in a house? Okay, so he's got two couches and a and a chandelier. You know, but the 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 the, the ethos of the place is entirely generated from the harmony or the dysfunctionality of what's going on inside the house. I'm guessing you're not anti-strategy as such because I'm assuming that when you got to Parkside, you'd you'd some kind of vision, some kind of plan. I'm assuming that, that your guys have some sense of where you'd like to go. Can you comment on good strategy and bad strategy? Well, it's interesting you mention that because um, in the McShane readings at the moment, uh, we're still in Nehemiah, what they call Nehemiah over here. Um, but... Um, what I did when I what I did when I came here in, back in 1983 was I did a, a series on Nehemiah called "Doing God's Work God's Way," in order to try and est establish some sort of framework about how what was going on and so on. I'm not sure it was very good, but it laid out for these guys the idea that. Uh, the work was the work of God. We 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 spent more time in prayer than we did in the actual building. Um, he he was uh, apparently secretive at the beginning. Uh, he wasn't letting everybody know what was in his heart that God had put in his heart to do. I mean, I think I think we have a legitimate right to to, to expect that God, if He puts us in a position of leadership, will give to us uh, at least some initiatives. And and so, along with that, um, I, I, I introduced them to, you know, one of the summary passages in Acts, where it says, you know, after after the conversion of uh, of Saul, and then the and then the church throughout Judea and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, and was uh, built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It, it it expanded. 
So I said, there's something of a principle here that edification leads to multiplication so that our, so that our emphasis on the Word of God is in order that we might actually be edified so that in Ephesians uh, uh, terms, that in edifying the saints, we will do the works of ministry so that all of those usual things were part of it. Now, with that said, I, was, I am not a good goal setter. Somebody wrote to me that, uh, just two days ago, a fellow from uh, a young African-American boy that I met along the journey of life, and he said, how do I get myself organized, Alistair? Uh, what, what about goals? How do you handle goals? I texted him back. I said, I'm not good at goals. I'm not good at goals. If you want to know how to get organized, get up, make your bed, read your Bible, go to work, don't be late, try and be a decent soul, uh, make sure you don't neglect. I, I just went through a thing and he wrote back and he said, really? You know, he was looking for, he was looking for something, yeah, something really good. And I, it's, that's, but that's Elizabeth Elliot, you know, if you don't know what to do, just do the next thing. So, yeah, we do have, we do have that. Our missions involvement is an extension of our understanding of these things and the way in which we go about uh, evangelism in terms of seeking to enable our people to, to build friendships that are bridge-building opportunities so that uh, they can uh, walk across those bridges. Um, and presumably some, you've got some folk on your team who <coughs> have strengths where you have weaknesses. <laughs> and what do they say? I, always hire somebody better than yourself. I know in, in your case that's, that's impossible, but uh, yeah, you, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You, you, you get a good team around you, yeah? No, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, nothing could be tr nothing could be truer. I mean, at about without boring with all the details, at about the seven year mark when I was here, so that'd be right around ninety. You know, I I sat down with some of the the elders and I said, you know, I'm pretty well done what I can do here as far as I can tell. And they said, well, why why, do you, why are you saying that? I said, well, I I I don't I can't do the things that you expect the sort of management, managing teams and stuff. I, I've got an approach to it that says, look, if they don't know what they're doing by now, what do you expect me to do with them? And I realize that that's not a healthy way to go at this. And, and, uh, and so cut into the chase, they said, well, we don't want to lose you to go on. And I said, because maybe I've only got seven years in me and then I have to go somewhere else and share that same brand of chaos. They said, no, 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 we don't do that. I said, well, how about you, how about you then uh, staff my weaknesses? Staff my weaknesses. And that began with one particular person who's been with me now for, you know, 20, 25 years. And he, um, you know, when the, when the books are open and people try and understand, you know, the last 40 years of life at Parkside Church, it will then become very, very apparent the role that he has played and continues to play in the development of many of these areas that I'm, I, I, by inclination, I'm not there and by gifting, I'm not there. And so, yes, um, because remember, I'm still, 40 years in, I'm still an alien in this place. I, the, 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 the things that are underpinnings for me are not shared things uh, you know they can't be even if it's something as superficial as 
you know, having a conversation about the fight that Manchester United beat Manchester City at the weekend, you know. It doesn't mean anything at all to anybody. And when they want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, I try and be interested. But I, there's no there's no heart thing there. There's, not a, it's, there's nothing that registers, that sets your heartbeat going. Yeah, I, I'm just a quick note to self about your diplomacy there and moving from the old firm to Manchester. That was a pretty, <laughs> that was a, given our audience will be mixed, that was a pretty smart move. Well, um, I'll tell you what, it was tied 2-2, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on January the 2nd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was better than it might have been, but ultimately disappointing. Yeah, the stuff in America, you know, I always find it not so funny, but disconcerting when they applaud you. You know, you're you're in the middle of a sermon. You talk about unction. You're in a bit of a, a run there, and uh-huh. they start applauding you. You know, you just like stop or or, they, or a piper pipes you in and say, "We wanted to make you feel at home." Yeah, this right. happens every day. You know, well, the. Again, you know, it's it really is, as, as Churchill said, it's two nations divided by a common language. And I have had to learn to, I'm not sure I've learned, um, I want to learn to moderate some of my responses to that kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I was speaking at a university some time ago and right in the middle of the thing, they started doing that clapping. And I told them, hey, don't clap. I said, please don't do that. I said, it really knocks me off. Just stop doing that. While I got these letters from people, How, who do you think you are, you arrogant rascal, telling people not to clap? And I let it go because I was going right back. And who do you think you are, arrogant rascal, telling me that I'm not allowed to tell the people? That, so the, the correspondence has gone for the rest of our lives. But the, the, the generosity of the American mindset and the willingness to get behind you, you don't want to kill that too quickly because when I go back and come back and, and preach at home, one of the things I have to get quickly used to is that there's very little feedback from what's happening out there in that room. You can't look to them. I mean, if you do, you're going to assume that nothing good is happening at all because that sense of uh, making sure that we don't want him to get ahead of himself, you know. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself either, but I like just a wee bit of encouragement. Yeah, um, yeah. in America they clap, in Scotland they'd probably throw a dead cat at you. Uh, and that's <laughs> the folk who are enjoying the sermons, they'll throw the dead cats. Yeah. Let's talk just a couple of things before we finish up that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, conventions, conferences... Good, good or bad. I mean, I'll state my claim. I think, I think they're they're great. I mean, you think of Keswick, I think of Old Testament idea of festivals. So, positives and minuses, Alistair, about big events like Keswick and, and conferences. So what's good, and what have we got to watch, if anything? Well, yeah, I mean, I would agree that uh, there's there's benefit to it. I mean, I'm, uh, my next visit home is to the Bible by the Beach event down in. I think it's in Eastbourne. Uh, it sounds was, okay, but it's not a scalpy communion. I suppose it's a second best. Yeah, yeah, but it, but I mean, so what is that? What is that about? I would I would imagine that it is some kind of effulgence from basically the the Keswick mentality. Uh, so let's get together and do some things that we that individually as churches we might not be able to to achieve. So in in as much as it then energizes and encourages uh, people to be together who perhaps are 
on a Sunday by Sunday basis in a fairly small and um, not immediately obviously effective realm so that they, they can be encouraged by the fact that, you know, the Lord is at work beyond our little place. Um, and so with that said, there's also a mentality that must be fairly disheartening to uh, pastors in that when their people seem to get very excited about the convention and this is what happened there, it's almost like, you know, telling telling your mom that, you know, Mrs. Mrs. Mackay's steak pie you know, was so much better than oh, yours. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and and I think maybe that some of that is comes across. Uh, people don't mean it to be that way, but I think inadvertently it it can be disheartening to to fellas. The way I approach it is, I tell folks. These things, these opportunities are supplemental to me. They're not fundamental to me. Conventions come and go. Coalitions come and go. Frankly, denominations come and go. But the work of Christ will, will continue. So I want to encourage and support things that are moved by a genuine desire to see uh, people come to faith or be strengthened in the faith. Right. I mean, these conversations, these podcasts that we do, you know, they can be a bit random and, and eclectic. We move from here and there. Um, let's let's put a landing gear down and, and do an approach into the airport. Um, the big issue in Scotland just now, you, you're still in touch, mm-hmm. is the Gender Recognition Act. Um, there's a Section 35 order where Westminster has overruled the devolved parliament in Scotland. I'm not interested in the politics. Um, the gender issue, uh, Alistair, two two questions really. What do you think this says about where we are as a culture and how should we as a church respond? Well, as a, as a culture, um, I would say certainly here in America, we've completely lost our, we, we've lost our way. I mean, the, 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 the relativism of, um, you know, the guys from France and so on that, that has eventually got through the university context and down into the music and into the ethos of doing business and everything else has finally really taken hold. The idea of truth as an objective reality is Foucault, pretty well... Yeah, Foucault, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, is passé. And not at, a, not at the level of sort of philosophical ramblings, but at the, rel- the, uh, the, uh, the realm of, you know, you, when I was home, you hear people saying, hey, it is what it is. And it, it, as if that, it is what it is. Either they say it, it defiantly, it can, it can be like, yeah, I left the lady up, the, I left my wife for the lady up the street. You know, it is what it is. Um, it cost me 75 pounds for my Uber fare to get to Heathrow. But you know what? It is what it is. So th- th- this sense of we don't know who we are, we don't know where we're going, we don't know, uh, we're not know if we're going to make it to the end. The the, it, the 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 ultimate end of that line in terms of Romans chapter one is where, in terms of human sexuality, you know, it's one thing to deconstruct language, it's another to actually deconstruct yourself. And uh, you know, I just did the second half of Romans one 
largely in order to not, uh, in a thematic way or in a uh, topical way, but to 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 help our congregation understand uh, where are we in this, that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven, that against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, that the sexual issue is not the great sin, but the sexual issue is perhaps, if you like, the contemporary effulgence of turning your back on God. And the the agenda, I mean, guys uh, years ago in, in uh, like Harvard and Yale who were looking down the corridor into, you know, the uh, the 21st century and said, this is what we're going to do in, in relationship. Here's our strategy. We're going to, first of all, get people uh, to sympathize with us. We'll go from sympathize to normalize and from normalize to demonize. And that is where we now are so that anybody so that anybody who would push back against it is demonized. It's got to be canceled. You can't have this view. And so where is the church? Well, I would say that the church in Scotland, when I followed it from a distance, in terms of human sexuality vis-a-vis churches and all the Church of Scotland stuff, that issue was not about sexuality. That, that issue was about the doctrine of Scripture. And the doctrine of Scripture had been played fast and loose with for 60, 80, maybe 100 years. And it took time before its expression came. And so guys that should have been addressing it for whatever reason were not addressing it. And so then when the, the, the sexual question came, it made it very, very easy for people to say, oh, you see, you're just a bigoted bunch of people because we're we're not actually... My approach actually is to, is to flip the thing on them. I say to my homosexual friends, I want you to sympathize with me. I, want, I, I, I do. I want you to be kind to I, Will you be kind to me? Will you be kind to me? Because i got to tell you that I actually believe this book. I actually believe that God is the author of creation. I believe that he has fashioned things in such a way, and there is a way that is best, and there is a way that works, and I'm going to hold to that. So in our conversations... I've got to ask you to be sympathetic to my perspective. I know you want to brand me as this or that, the next thing. I want you to understand that I don't actually feel that way about you, but I do feel strongly about this. And I think we've got to develop a whole new apologetic as a church in dealing with these issues because it's very, very easy to, um, to get, on, get on our high horse and again, this, this comes back to what makes a great church. Uh, what makes a great church is when you're, able to, when you're able to read the Corinthian passage and says, and these guys are not going to make it. The, the, the homosexual activities, the people, slanderers, rascals, people, 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 and such were some of you. Well, it's converting you. power, yeah. Yes, yeah. Power of the gospel. And then, and, yeah. And then and you can say to the people, say, we're glad you're here because we, some of us, I can introduce you to people who have come right out of this context as opposed to we have it all together, we know what to do. And so instead of becoming, we're not involved in mission, we're involved in admonition. So we just have a role of admonishing the culture or admonishing people rather than saying, um, it's interesting to see you over here today in the middle of the day, madam. Do you think I could have a drink of water? 
Um, let's close up. My final question, you know, you've been 40 years at, at Parkside, more or less. You, you went there when you were 10 years of age. So, <laughs> you know, you're a boy preacher. Um, what, I mean, you're not an old guy yet. I don't look upon you as an old guy. But when you get there, what sort of old guy do you want to be? Well, I don't know what I want to be. I know what I don't, I know what I don't want to be. <clears throat> I don't want to be a grumpy old guy. Oh, too, late, want... too late, too late, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that boat has sailed. Well, I don't want to be as grumpy as I could be, knowing how grumpy I am now. No, but I don't. I I, I don't want to be that. I I don't want to be um, hanging on to things that uh, it would be far better to let go of and pass into the care of, of other people. I want to be, I, I'd like to live to a good old age um, in the sense of to that whatever old age I am, that it would be a good old age, you know, that um, you're not, because I think in many ways I've watched that, um, that, that our personality traits tend to be um, magnified the closer you get to the end. So if you are argumentative and, and stuff, you can become very brittle and, and you know, like the two old guys in the Muppets, you know, they just look down on everything. Um, if you're a funny person, the, the chances are you, you haven't been that funny and you're still pretending you're funny and that, that, that's really wearisome too. Uh, we want to in, we want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We want to, I like to be more like Him, less like me. What a great way to end, Alistair. Um, thank you. You've been generous with your time. We appreciate this. Our listeners will will enjoy this, whether they're in their car or doing their jogging. Thank you for your time, and we wish you every blessing in Parkside. Thank you, David. Folks, listeners, thank you for staying with us and look out for the podcast next week. We run a series of eight at a time and this is the first of our new series for 2023. Thank you for being with us. Every blessing and have a great day. Mm-hmm.